Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio has a 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome in to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's Anthony Pagnata back with you, and for the first time in a while, it is not going to be a quarantine interview. It is not going to be a recruiting podcast. We are here tonight to talk about, well, we're going to talk about the NFL draft. We're also going to get into a little bit of the 2020 season for college football and uh, what they're saying right now as in terms of if they're going to play the season. And we'll also kind of talk through what some of the alternate uh, suggestions are if they're not able to play the season. So along with me, it is Josh Marlowe. First time in a while, buddy, that we've been on here. Um, but uh, I, I know I'm happy to talk a little bit of Tar Heel football and uh, glad you're able to be along with me to do it. Uh, how's the family holding up during this uh, difficult time, man? Man, we're doing all right. A lot of sitting around, a lot of TV watching, a lot of beer drinking. I'm uh, just trying to... Make the most of it as we can. Most importantly, just try and stay safe and, and stay healthy. So it's it's been a challenge, but after a month or so, I guess you could say we've full, fully adjusted to a new a new lifestyle. So okay, so we went through a TV series. I feel like we can talk about this to start out the show. We went through Game of Thrones. You've you've done this before, and we we went through it together ultimately a fantastic show uh, so I do want to say thank you for pushing me into uh, actually uh, watching that series um, and I feel like this is something that we should just throw out there because I, I feel like people may be looking for suggestions of things to watch um, but yeah I, I, I think uh, that was ultimately a fantastic choice um, what did you think the second time that you went through it do you think it was as good as the first time or better than the first time you went through it uh, it didn't take me, I mean, I'm, the first day we started watching the show, uh, we were hanging out together, and I immediately got rehugged a little bit quicker than the first time. Um, I would probably say I loved it more because I realized a lot more stuff I didn't realize the first time going through it, because as you learned, there's just so much going on at all times that you it's easy to miss a thing or two here 
that shows up 10 episodes later. Right. But I already was prepared, and so did, did okay. Phenomenal show. If you're into the medieval, if you like seeing blurry, gory death, suggest Game of Thrones 100%. Oh, yeah, no. Um, oh, if you like death, that's the show for you. Um, I feel like uh, from watching the show, I, I have my opinion of who should be on the Iron Throne. Um, I think that uh, it's it's kind of interesting if you want to make a comparison because this is a Toriel football podcast, and I don't know about you. I think Mac Brown would make a lot of sense as a ruler of the Iron Throne. I think that's pretty much what he's doing right now for the Tar Heels. He's doing such a great job of that, not only on the recruiting trail, but really uh, putting a good group around him, a good small council around him uh, in Chapel Hill. Um, do you think that Mac Brown would be a good Iron Throne? throne uh a ruler of the seven kingdoms yeah i mean he relates to people he's a good leader of men he has that quality he's not afraid to go into battle ultimately he's going to do what's best for and uh, game of thrones westeros for us it's carolina football on the program he's already done that in a year and a half or so on the job so i, I do think you put him in a in an alternate world he would be successful as a as a ruler so, all right. So we we've talked. We've gone into our our, our nerdiness here, and uh, this is bound to happen with the fact that we're just going stir crazy, sitting in the house with all this stuff going on. But the good news is, is that we actually got some 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 sports to talk about over the last couple of days. You know, we're not talking about the Last Dance documentary. We're all psyched because that's going to be on again tonight. And believe me, we've been talking about that on the uh, Roy's Boys podcast, uh, which you guys can check out on the Heels Up blog website as well as uh, the same apps that you listen to this podcast. There's the plug for that. Um, but... You know, we got the NFL draft. Um, it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, the first time that they've gone fully virtual. Um, got to hand it to Trey Wingo. He did a fantastic job, pretty much just handling the bulk of uh, of the hosting by himself. Uh, I mean, everybody there really did a great job. They uh, really did a good job combining both staffs together to work for this, and um, it, it really had to happen with what happened to Todd McShay. But ultimately, uh, what was your thoughts on, on the NFL draft and and how? they were able to do it virtually. I thought it went over pretty well, but some people had a different opinion. You you know me. I am not the biggest draft guy. And leading up to this draft, I had a lot of worries about how would this go because you're putting NFL Network guys on an ESPN broadcast. How was the chemistry? How was that going to go? What you learned is that even though these guys may work for different networks and they have different opinions, they are the ultimate professionals at their jobs. Uh, Trey Wingo is, I've always considered, very underrated. I think he was a star this weekend. He did a very good job in the ESPN studio all by himself, leading us through three days of draft coverage, interacting with hosts and, and guests that he's never probably talked to before in his life, and did a fantastic job. And I think the NFL, because it got so much, I guess, talking points on Twitter, Facebook, all the social medias, they won't, they won't go away from the standard draft that they normally do whenever we get back to normalcy, but I do think you will see them become a lot more innovative in the draft moving forward, and we, as we know, Roger Goodell and the NFL are always trying to be innovative. This is another way for them to be like that. Well, I wonder if a guy like Daniel Jeremiah maybe will be um, a guy that kind of splits the middle when it comes to draft coverage in the future. Um, you know, I kind of hope not because I always like kind of the two draft broadcasts where you can kind of go watch um, one, you know, that if, if you like it a little bit better because they usually have a, a better lineup. I, I got to admit, 
Really missed my guy, Rich Eisen. Also wish that we would have gotten to hear a little more from uh, another former Tar Heel uh, guy that I think does a fantastic job, and not just because he's a former Tar Heel, because he knows and loves the draft and Bucky Brooks. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. I think uh, they they had a tough situation that they were faced with, which was you know, hosting an event that is is huge every single year in and of itself. But you got to think, this year, this was really the first sports thing that we had had that was was any sort of live sports event in almost almost what almost two months now about a month and a half so I mean you really got to hand it to them I thought they handled it uh, about as well as they could I know there were some some issues that a lot of people had with with some of the uh, the production of it uh, in terms of uh, some of the stuff that was read on air. Um, and I know that that was one of those points that that I kind of had a little bit of an issue with as well. And and being someone that's in the field and, you know, having to gone to school and, and, and kind of learn how people do these jobs, I just want people to realize that you should not be angry at Trey Wingo. You should not be angry at any of the guys that are on the telecast. They do not look up all those stats. That is done by somebody that is off camera that you don't see that is handed to them they read it off of a teleprompter or they read it off of a sheet of paper that is not anything that Trey Wingo looks up and says okay we're just going to focus on this person's family history or, or whatever um, you know I thought that was definitely a little bit controversial uh, did you feel the same way with with some of the stories that were uh, apparent that, that were apparently released without consent from some of the guys that uh, that got drafted I think that's where you got to draw the line. If the player and the family gives you the green light to go ahead and release some information or talk about an incident that was tragic in their, their life, I'm all for it. Or I'm not saying I'm all for it, but you can understand. And it also makes you more appreciative. Like, you know, Javon Kinlaw growing up homeless, he's a first-round pick. But when you're finding out guys that they didn't consent to this information being released, that's, that's wrong. It's, it's unprofessional. And I think you made a good point. You don't don't be mad at Trey Wingo or whoever. It's the people behind the scenes that you're not going to know their names. They're the ones that are feeding them that information. And then ultimately, you blame ESPN and the producers because they they're they're the ones that are saying, okay, we're going to do this. You need to check with the family, whatnot first. And, and so, I I know a lot of people made a lot of jokes about. You know, how every time they, a, a kid got drafted, they had to talk about how their grandma or someone passed away. It wasn't that bad, but it just felt like every time they could force that into the broadcast, it was. It'd be better if mm-hmm. it wasn't always sports. It just kind of it happened, and then you could kind of look at it in a different light. Well, luckily, the two Tar Heels that were drafted, they did not have those uh, a- anything that was released without their consent from what we know. Of course, they did uh, focus very heavily on the fact that Charlie Heck had a brother, John Heck, who played at Carolina as well as his dad, Andy, who, of course, is the offensive line coach for the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, you guys all know that. That was another real highlight that they seemed to love. They uh, point out all everybody in your family's occupation. There was one where they pointed out, uh, you know, a whole family. One was like a doctor. One was like a gym teacher. And everybody's kind of like, who really gives a damn? But luckily, uh, the Toriel players, uh, they didn't really succumb to that. Two Toriels get drafted. Of course, the first one, Charlie Heck, ends up going out to Houston. And uh, I think this was a really good pick for both Houston. And, and this is a good fit for Charlie Heck going to a team in Houston 
that really struggled to protect Deshaun Watson a year ago, and also is a team that just doesn't have a ton of offensive line depth. So I think Charlie Heck's going to have a real chance to go in there. It's going to take some time. That's why he's drafted in the fourth round because he's got some things that he's got to clean up uh, with his uh, with, with some of the technical stuff. And uh, you know there there are some things that it, at his height are going to bother him against some of the shorter, squattier defensive ends. But ultimately, I felt like that was a pretty good destination for Charlie Heck. Did you kind of feel the same? Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're going to a team that's going to be a playoff contender, most likely. So you're gonna you're gonna be around some talented dudes. So it's gonna make you better if you get to have a training camp, some form of OCA, of course, preseason and regular season. Um, a team that that needs offensive linemen. What's the biggest thing we talk about when it comes to Houston? They can't protect Deshaun Watson, who we regard as one of the top ten to twelve quarterbacks in the National Football League. You feel like a guy with that six seven, all his versatility will be able to help in some capacity, but also there's not a whole lot expected of him right away. He can take a year or two to get adjusted to the NFL game, learn the system that Bill O'Brien and Houston run. So it's a quality spot. I never really thought of him going to Houston during the draft process, but like you said, really like the fit, and they're getting a heck of a player. That's all I know. Oh, my God. So we've reached that point already here on the podcast where we've got to go to the puns. But um, you're you're right about that. I mean, look, they allowed 49 sacks a year ago on their quarterbacks, 44 of them taken by Deshaun Watson, a guy that, remember, has, has had knee problems before. So ultimately, uh, they're looking for a guy that is going to be able to help them keep the quarterback upright. And while Charlie Heck isn't the best run blocker, he was part of a line that helped two running backs go over a thousand yards in terms of total offense this past year. So you definitely feel like he's going to be able to have some sort of uh, role there in Houston in the next couple of years. Same thing with Jason Strobridge, another guy, he gets drafted in the fifth round, uh, 154 overall to the Miami Dolphins. And again, you don't think that he's going to come in there and immediately be able to start. You never really do know that would be a pleasant surprise, but um, he ultimately ends up in another spot that I just really love like for him. Uh, you know, Brian Flores is coming in, uh, you know, in his second year. Last year, you know, came in very similar situation. I like to say to Zach Taylor, where pretty much the goal was to be as bad as you possibly can because we've got to go find our future at quarterback. They've done that. They got Tua Tungavailoa. Um, and now this is a team that's going to look to build. And it looks like Jason Strobridge is one of those guys that's going to be in the plans for them on the defensive side of the football. The good news is there's a lot of new guys that are going to be coming through that door because of everything that Miami has done uh, during last season and over the offseason, letting a lot of guys walk and bringing in some fresh faces. So for this staff, uh, they're they're not going to really have a, an opinion on a lot of the guys that are coming in. So I think that really fits in well for Jason Strobridge. He'll be in a 3-4 system. And uh, I think there's a lot of things to like about this. And I know one of the things to like um, it, it has got to be the destination. I know you're probably feeling that way as well. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's going back home. He, he's from the state of Florida. You know, he's in a situation like you said, where Miami is in a total rebuild, so there's going to be a lot of opportunity for him to make an impact uh, in, in year one. We heard Mac Brown say how many times during this year that he'll play his best football in the NFL. The best is, is still to go for him. And this was a guy that early on in Saturday entered Mel Kuyper's top ten board and hung around a little bit longer than I anticipated. I was one, if the Cowboys would have taken him, wouldn't have complained because he could do a lot of things that we need help on. 
But I do think he's in a good situation. Brian Flores showed last year that even though Miami gave away a lot of talent, he's capable of doing some stuff down there. And their their rebuild, assuming that Tagovailoa pans out, is a little bit further than we probably anticipated. Mm-hmm. Strawbridge can be a part of that as they try to get better defensively um, in, in the AFC East. And so it's going to be fun to monitor his career with the Dolphins. Well, those were the only two guys that heard their names called, but as expected, there were plenty of guys that got calls right after the draft. Um, there's a whole list of guys that uh, we thought would potentially get calls. It turns out uh, six of them end up uh, getting the calls from other teams. Of course, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, they get two guys, Miles Dorn and Jake Vargas. Vargas being a little bit of a shock, uh, a guy that really, if you look at the stat sheet, didn't have the type of career that I think a lot of people expected, but really really turned into a great blocker at the end of his career, was uh, the Tar Heels' best blocking tight end this past year, um, and now gets a chance to go up to a spot in Minnesota where they love to run the football, so it feels like he's going to fit in well there. Of course, Antonio Williams ends up going to the Buffalo Bills, uh, another spot where it looks like he may actually have a chance to uh, make that roster if he's able to uh, open some eyes up there, and uh, they did draft a running back in Zach Moss, but still some questions in that backfield behind their starter Devin Singletary so you never really know there uh, Dominique Ross goes to the New York Giants that was a, a big uh, addition uh, for him to be able to get onto a roster that is looking to add some linebacker depth uh, so they didn't really address it too much in in the uh, in the draft itself only selected one linebacker in the draft believe me as a Giant fan that did not make me very happy but uh, the good news is is that they did sign some other guys uh, in on uh, after the draft was over. And Dominique Ross feels like that type of guy that um, you know just has enough versatility where you never really do know if he gets in there, he might be able to land. And then, uh, of course, one of the other guys uh, that we expected would get a job, uh, but some people maybe didn't, was Aaron Crawford. Uh, he ends up with the Baltimore Ravens, uh, and, and that really just feels like a perfect fit for him, going to a place uh, close to his home and a place where you feel like he's going to be able uh, to have some sort of effect. Uh, is there one guy maybe that sticks out to you the most out of that group that you think might be able to come in and have a big impact? Well, I think you, you spoke right there, being Aaron Crawford. The fit is phenomenal. Uh, Baltimore, which, by the way, stellar draft. And then you're able to get a guy that graded out as pro football's focus, best graded run defender from last year as an undrafted free agent. And we all know what they did last year. And a lot of talks about Lamar Jackson. That defense is still very good. He's going to join a group that will push him to get better. And then you talked about Minnesota, Miles Dorn getting drafted, and Jake Vargas, like you said. Not a whole lot of a, a great guy to be in the receiving, but he's a hell of a blocking tight end. And they're an old-school team. They want to line up and shove the ball down your throat, but they do it with three tight end sets. He could, he could be one that no one thought could find a way on an NFL roster, but he could be a guy that he's, as you, as you said, so good in, in run blocking, could very much find himself playing up on Sundays. And then I like Antonio Williams having a chance to make the roster in Buffalo. As you said, they've got a lot of questions after Devin Singletary in that backfield. We know he's going to work hard. He's got to get a little bit faster, a little bit leaner, but I feel like he could be a guy, if he's on an NFL roster come September, won't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, I think that there's a good chance 
for Dominique Ross as well. Like I said, you know, the Giants are looking for a, a ton of guys at linebacker because they didn't really address the need in the draft. Um, and that's a position where last year they just really didn't, I mean, they didn't address it most of the year. And they haven't done a ton of that in free agency either. They really just need depth. They're not looking for guys that can come in and start. I feel like that situation sets up for them very well. Uh, Miles Dorn, uh, I mean, there was a guy that uh, writes for one of their blog sites up in Minnesota, and he told me that he thinks that Miles Dorn is better than the safety that they drafted in the draft. Now, that's saying something because I thought that the Minnesota Vikings had one of the best drafts out of anybody, but still, uh, I think that he has a very legitimate chance to make that roster. I feel like if he had gotten invited to the combine, he probably would have been drafted. Not getting invited to the combine, I think, really hurt him um, in terms of his draft stock, which again, you can kind of take what, what, what you want to from that. I think that's kind of a bad reason to not draft somebody. I mean, if, if it makes sense um, for him to, you know, on tape be drafted, I don't understand why not getting a, an invite to the combine should keep you from getting drafted. Um, but ultimately, I think we're in agreement. Aaron Crawford is a guy that I just could not understand how they did not have him on draft boards. It made absolutely no sense. That's my favorite stat from any player from a year ago. He was he graded out as pro football focuses best interior lineman in terms of run stopping. And that's not a fluke stat. You could say whatever you want about pro football focus. Um, they've done a fantastic job there. And it really is one of the better sites that I've seen in terms of the different grades that they give out in determining the value of players. So um, I think he's he's got a chance up there the only thing that I worry about with that is just how much talent is already up there in Baltimore because right now that's a team that is probably seen as the biggest threat to Kansas City and maybe not only in the AFC but maybe in the NFL period so um, we'll see how that all works out Um, the interesting thing that we also saw last night was right after the draft was over of course uh, some of these guys like to put out um, their 2021 prospects rankings the ones that are on it the most of course is the draft network um, and they were already throwing up some of their ratings for the 2021 class in terms of draftees. A lot of Tar Heel fans, I put out the rankings earlier today for people uh, to look at, and there were a lot of people that were a little bit angry. So I'll read you off some of these ones here, and then we'll talk about them just really quick. Chaz Surratt is the highest-rated guy on the big board, rated as the number 77 overall guy, which would mean he'd be around the third-rounder. And then you've got him as the number nine linebacker. Um, So as we expected, he was going to be very highly rated. Very flexible guy that can go out um, in coverage if needed. Of course, late in the year, as we saw, sort of adjusted to his role as an inside linebacker and uh, became the team's best tackler. And it wasn't, frankly, really even close. Then you have Michael Carter. Uh, He's rated as the number 160 overall prospect. So right on the edge of being a fourth uh, or fifth round guy. uh, Rated as the number 13 running back in the class. Um, And and honestly, I'm going to be kind of, I'm going to be real. I'm kind of shocked that he is that high. I know he had a thousand yard rushing season a year ago, but um, you know it feels like most of the time the guys that play in backfields where you have two really good backs like that, they kind of drop a little bit. But uh, he definitely brings some receiving value. Um, he's the type of running back that we thought you know he's starting to show signs that he can be the type of running back that we thought he was going to be where we compared him to Gio Bernard. So it'll be interesting to see if he stays there or if he's able to move up. Um, but then the ones that I think a lot of people were really talking about and the ones that I think were 
we're going to focus on. You got Deami Brown as the number 222 overall player, so a seventh round guy, uh, rated as the number 30 wide receiver. And then you got Daz Newsome as the number 259 overall, so uh, probably undrafted, but could be a late selection in the seventh round. And uh, the number 34 overall wide receiver. Now, before we get into this, we do want to preface that um, just from looking at the guys that are on the board ahead of them, this is another loaded wide receiving class. And Matt Miller, who does a great job over at Bleacher Report, he said that he believes this class may be better than the class that we just saw in this 2020 draft, which they said was the best ever. I know that you've probably got some issues with the, with those guys being that low, especially after what we saw from them last year, both guys going over 1,000 yards receiving. Um, but ultimately, what's your reaction to uh, what, it, what, what we must also tell people and hopefully they realize it, is an extremely early 2021 big board from the Draft Network. Yeah, look, I would be lying if I said I looked in where I saw Deami and Medaz and say I wasn't shocked because I thought they'd be a little bit higher. Because I, 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 I thought they should be a little bit higher, but then again, I watch those guys every Saturday. The, tw- the 30 guys ahead of them, I don't see but maybe a handful of times, especially the ones from the big-time schools. But like you said, it is April of 2020. We've got a whole other year for those rankings to change. And also, as we were talking in the pre-production meeting, not all those guys are going to go to the or go to the NFL. So the ability for them to climb will be there. And also, you put another thousand yards up on your film, you're going to go up the draft boards. If Daz Dusum eliminates his drops, he'll climb. A lot of people consider him the number one receiver going in to the college football season despite the drop issues he had uh, last year. So, look, it's very premature. We were talking the other night during the draft about how Carolina, you know, first two days weren't putting anyone on the draft boards. I think that's going to change when you look at what Mac Brown's already doing, the talent that's coming in. It won't be too long before we're going to be sitting on draft night seeing guys get drafted in the first round, at the very minimum the second round on. So, I think that, uh, I think Chasseret's very interesting because if he puts another year like that on film, he's kind of our version, I guess, of Isaiah Simmons, the guy that can do all kinds of things. Not saying he'll go top 10 in the draft and that he's that caliber player, but that's kind of what you relate him to. Michael Carter, I, I'm with you. Probably a little over highly rated than I would have thought. I look at him as a poor man, Dalvin Cook, but you run for 1,000 yards again, wow. splitting, time, splitting time in the backfield people are still going to look at you as being productive with limited carries. So um, it, it's interesting. It, it's good to see our, our fans engaging in NFL draft talk for a draft that's still a year away. And just, you know, we all know Sam Howell was a quarterback prospect. He needs to have one prospect on the board. So that's all that really matters. Oh, uh, You wait till that 2022 early draft board comes out this time next year. People will be losing it over where he is at on that board. Um, I think, you know, with Chasserat, it's very interesting because you got to think that just a year ago at this time, we were thinking this guy might be our number three guy, you know, thir- a third string on the depth chart at middle linebacker or outside linebacker. Now we're talking about him as the best prospect in, in, in terms of Tario players on the board for the 2021 draft. Um, I like That's an interesting comparison for Michael Carter. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really done a whole lot of thinking about that. That is kind of interesting. I don't think he runs quite with as 
as fierce of an edge as Dalvin Cook does. But uh, that that's that's an interesting comparison for him, and I think there's a lot to like about him. Um, and then there's a couple other guys, um, you know, that that I think are going to probably end up getting on there. Who do you think maybe is that guy that at a, we, we haven't talked about yet? that could end up being on that board. I know one guy that I'm kind of shocked isn't on there anywhere. Is there someone that you think is maybe being slept on a little bit? You just threw me for a loop because in this pre-production meeting, that was not on the topics of discussion. Okay, it's just a reactionary thing. I hadn't thought about it either until we started talking about this. So just let's calm down here. We've got plenty of time. What do we got? I mean, we got the Last Dance documentary coming up, but we're not going to spend too long here on uh, uh, talking about the upcoming season. So what what do you think? Is there a guy maybe that you think uh, we should be talking about? Simone Fox. Okay. That's an interesting one. I like his size. Um, I like his position flexibility as well. Um, and I think he'll probably – I don't I don't want to go this bold because I've tried saying this the last couple of years and nobody's reached that number. He could reach double-digit sacks if he's able to build on what we saw him do last year. And, and when we say build, we're really focusing on building that consistency that he just hasn't really had his first few years and put all those flashes together. The guy that I'm kind of shocked is nowhere on there is Javante Williams because he kind of does everything that you want in a modern running back. He runs hard. He, he's a guy that has good, not great top end speed. So if you need to run him outside on the edges, he still has the ability to do that. But the other thing that he does that just doesn't get enough that that he doesn't get enough credit for is he can catch the ball out of the backfield. And I feel like that's the thing that you've got to be able to do as a running back in this day and age, or else you just are not going to make the NFL. You have to have some sort of receiving background. You have to be able to do something with the football in your hands, not only uh, when you are when you get carries, but when you're out there running routes. And then uh, he's also not a bad pass protector. So I don't know if he's a guy that's going to go early. I think he'll probably end up staying four years. Um, but ultimately, I, I think that it, if you know he has a really good season, don't be surprised if he's a name that suddenly shows up on some of those boards. So let's move on, talk a little bit about uh, this upcoming season. I know there's still a lot of uncertainty around everything that's going on and again, we want to preface this by saying that we are not experts. We have no clue what is going to happen in terms of this upcoming season. Everything that we've heard is the same stuff that you guys are hearing. We have not talked to CDC experts. We have not talked to the President of the United States, though at this point, we don't really know what that would do for us. Um, I, I, at this, we, we don't know anything more than you guys know. We're just kind of speculating, but we've heard the rumors that if they were to have to move the season, they would probably end up moving it into the spring. Now, there's a couple of different things that sort of come up with that, and that is more than likely when they would have to start the season would be during college basketball season. Most people are kind of pinpointing a February timeline as to when they would start playing what would most likely only be conference games. Now, I know you've had a little bit of pushback on this. What is the reasoning behind why you're saying that they shouldn't play in the spring? Well, the thing is, is that if you move it to the spring, let's just talk logistically. You're, how are you going to justify them then turning around 
in less than five or six months and playing a full season. Everything we're doing now in the football world is trying to make the game safer, so we're limiting injuries, mainly concussions. Well, if you play them 12, a full schedule, and then you talk about the playoff game, stuff like that, you get up into 14, 15 games, and that starts in February, that's probably going to end around April. you got to think about it. In less than three months, they're going to be back on campus, then doing get prepared for the fall. To me, that sends the wrong message. What about the guys that would be going into that year's draft, which would happen in literally right after the season ended? How many of those guys would you see just sit out because they're not going to risk jeopardizing their NFL careers for, for playing 12 college football games because their season had to get moved during because of because of the COVID-19 virus? And then... You know, you get, you get to the more logistical things. How are you going to juggle TV contracts during the NFL or, or during the college basketball and NBA seasons? There's just so many different things that you're going to have to take into effect if you move the season. Now, look, if that's what they got to do to play the season, sign me up. This is supposed to be one of the biggest years for Carolina football in recent memory. I'm, I'm on board with whatever it takes to play the year to see how the year plays out. But I'm also more in favor of, I'm looking at a, an article right now, whether we got to reduce the schedule to play all ACC games, okay, right. I'm okay with that. Or if you got to play in front of an empty, an empty stadium, I know it would be different because the thing we talk about with college football is how the environment makes the game what it is. I'm an NFL guy through and through, but the college football environment is what makes college football so special. But if that's what we got to do to have the year, I'm on board with that. I think that's just the thing is, is that when it all comes down to is money. And other people are going to get mad about that. Right. But we're already seeing it. Without their revenue, so many other sports across campus are going to be eliminated because that's how they are paid for. So I want the season to be played so that way all these other athletes can still pursue their dreams and, 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 and more importantly get an education. So I think it's going to be difficult. They've got to decide something by the summer at the latest you'd imagine. Because right. you're not going to tell them in August we're going to play football in September. Yeah, I, I think your 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 spot. I mean, you you bring up some really great points. You talked about the point why, in my mind, they're going to have no choice but to play in the spring if they can't play in the fall. Football brings in the most revenue on any campus. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if you think that there's a sport on your campus that is better, unless you play in a football stadium that seats maybe. 10,000 and your basketball stadium, you're, you're wherever you play basketball, whether it's an arena or if you play somewhere, you know, on campus, wherever you, there's no way that you can live without having football on your campus in terms of keeping your other sports up and running. And we're not talking about, well, you would lose basketball, probably even baseball. Most baseball teams would probably stay around. Most people are going to be like, well, who honestly really cares if we lose sports like soccer, sports like lacrosse, sports like tennis, stuff like that. Now, for Carolina fans, I think it's a little bit different because, look, we've seen so much success. We've grown close to even those athletes because we talk about the Tar Heel family. When we talk about it, it's not just the Tar Heel family in the major sports. It's all sports. You have connections to every sport because we have had so much success. But at the other schools, like you've got to realize that some of these kids are coming from across country to play 
sports for schools that, you know, are, are I mean, they're, they know they're signing up and, and signing scholarships for sports that don't bring in money. For them, how are you going to turn around and tell these kids, hey, we have to drop your scholarship and you're, you're probably not going to be going to school here because we don't have enough room for you on campus because your sport just got dropped. We didn't have enough money to keep your sport up and going. That's what people have to realize. And I, I know juggling with, with college basketball is definitely going to be tough. Um, it would only be for one year. That's the good news on that front. And in terms of what are they going to do about the guys that would have to play next fall, it's a tricky situation. I mean, honestly, what you would have to do is pretty much – leave it up to the guys as to whether or not they want to play. And most of the guys I think are going to say yes. Now, there is a, a group of guys that would say no. And I think Carolina is one of those teams that would be in a relatively good scenario because I feel like most of the guys would still want to play. The guys that are going to say no would be the guys that have great draft stock, don't really need this season to vault them into the top. Uh, you know, even, you know, the top 10, most guys probably within the first round or two probably wouldn't even play this year. But I mean, when you talk about like Trevor Lawrence, if he has a chance to go to the NFL next season, which he does, he will not, if, if the season gets moved to the spring, I am willing to bet just about everything that I have that he will not play in the upcoming college football season if it's played in the spring. That's where teams are going to have a little bit of hesitancy. Now, for Clemson, they shouldn't really it, it shouldn't really be that big of a deal because you're going to have to find a way to replace him anyways down the line. You'll just have to do it a little bit earlier. Um, but I, I think you know you, you mentioned canceling um, conference game or at a conference games. I think that's that's something that's a very realistic possibility whether they play it in the fall or in the spring. Um, from what I've seen, if they play it in the spring, that's going to happen without a doubt. Um, but I think that you know it's it's going to be talked about a lot. Because of the money situation, you're ultimately probably going to have no choice but to choose. If you end up, you know, wanting to play, then that's fine. You're going to have to realize that you're probably going to be playing uh, two full seasons in the span of about eight months. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many guys choose to sign up for that. I think there still will be a lot of guys that would be in for that. Um, but uh, if they're not, uh, we're going to really find out how deep some of these teams are. And we're not just talking about Carolina. We're talking about some of the best teams in the country. You'll see a lot of guys at Clemson that could potentially sit out. We're going to see guys that maybe didn't think they were going to have to play that early get a chance to play earlier. It'll definitely be very interesting. And of course, we'll be keeping you up to date on everything that's going on with the COVID-19 virus in terms of how it will affect Carolina's upcoming 2020 season as we grow a little bit closer. But uh, I think right now we're going to get ready to lock it down. Uh, Last Dance is coming on, so we want to make sure that we're in position and ready for that. Um, and also, we're still somehow waiting on, on the basketball side for Kerwin Walton to commit. At this point, I, I have no idea. I think we have a better chance of seeing uh, th- this 2020 football season go off than we have of seeing him commit at this point. This is just getting unbelievable. But we'll have you covered with all that. HeelToughBlog.com is where you guys can go and check it out. We've had you covered with everything going on with the Kerwin Walton uh, recruitment uh, over on the basketball side of things, uh, as well as we've done some player reviews for the two. 
2019-20 season. Also, we had you cover for the NFL draft. We got a breakdown of uh, the positions uh, where the guys went um, and 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 uh, their fits in their new places as well. So make sure you guys go back and check that out. Those are some really interesting. That's a really interesting article. Um, and then of course uh, we got some stuff coming out uh, in terms of recruiting. We'll have the biggest needs article that's going to come out uh, probably tomorrow as long as Kerwin Walton doesn't decide to delay his decision another day. Um, but uh, that'll be up there for you guys to look at as well, uh, as well as some other great stuff that we'll be doing as we grow closer to the season. So uh, the last thing I want to make sure that you guys do, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. The rate and review part will help us move up some of the rankings on some of the major podcasting sites. Uh, we'd really appreciate that, not just for us, but mainly for the people out there that don't know about the podcast, that search Tar Heel Podcast, and we're not really showing up there. We want to be able to move up those rankings so that people can see it and be able to subscribe to the podcast, just like we hope you do so that you don't miss an episode of the podcast. we got so many other great interviews coming up with former Tar Heel players, and of course, as we get closer and closer to the season, we'll be doing so many more podcasts, and we'll also be keeping you up to date on everything that's going on in terms of Tar Heel football recruiting. So once again, I want to thank Josh Marlowe for being with me tonight. I want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the podcast, and as always, go Tar Heels! Thank <laughs> you.